Hi, I'm Eric Ostro, host of Live with the Lortel. For season three, we are focusing on the intersection of arts and advocacy. So many off-Broadway artists give back to their communities. This season, we are giving them the opportunity to speak about how and why they chose the causes they devote themselves to and how those causes help them make them the people and artists they are today. Hi, good evening, everybody. Welcome to Live at the Lortel. My name is Eric Ostro. I'm one of the hosts for the evening. I'd like to bring on my co-host, Joy D. Michelle. Joy. Hello. Hello. You look gorgeous tonight. Thank you. Thank you. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. It's good to see you. I'm very excited about tonight. We're going to have such a good time. Let me give a little intro. Jennifer Samard is a Tony Award, four-time Drama Desk Award, three-time Drama League Award, and Lucille Lortel Award nominee, who can currently be seen as Sarah in the Broadway production of Company. Some of her many off-Broadway credits include the original companies of Forbidden Broadway, SVU, and I Love You, You're Perfect, Now Change. Jennifer can be seen playing the role of Patsy in Ray Romano's upcoming feature film, directorial debut, Dramedy, and she is a strong advocate for National Eating Disorders and Darkness Rising Projects. Let's welcome Jennifer Smart. Hi, everybody. Hello. <laughs> oh, so good to be here. Thank you. And uh, I agree, Joy, you look beautiful. This coral outfit. Perfect. And Eric, not so bad yourself. And that oh, wallpaper is fantastic. Oh, thank you so much. <laughs> I put it up just for you. Yeah. Good yeah. job. I love House Hunters, HGTV. Oh, you do? I love Magnolia Network, all that. I, that's yeah, my I relaxing that. kind of thing for me. I'm yeah. obsessed with the Magnolia people. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> They're kind of so killing the game, right? They just they bought that network. They are killing it. It's unbelievable. Okay. But Chip I don't want to talk Joanna. about them. I want to talk about okay. you. We can talk about okay. Joanna another time, but I'm, I love her. <laughs> So we're very honored that you're here. I saw a company the night before they shut it down. So mm-hmm. I saw like one of the first previews right yeah. before they went down. And then you guys went up quite a few months ago. You want to tell me about that experience of the shutting down and yeah, you know what I- you did for those two years of fiddling your thumbs and... It was sort of a rolling event, wasn't it? We didn't know how long it would go on, and the uncertainty was the hardest part. You know, there's a term, PTSD, which is post-traumatic stress disorder, and I've been saying for a while now, I think it's perpetual traumatic stress disorder. That's what it's become, and it's still happening. I will say now, I have a bit of survivor's guilt because so many people either lost their lives or lost loved ones or suffered health loss or a fiscal loss that is even worse than what I went through and what the Broadway community went through. So first of all, I have the utmost respect for any of those individuals. I'm filled with gratitude to have made it, to have come back with company, to have the producers that I have at company who were going to come back no matter what, when they didn't have to. That experience was life-changing and forever bonding for my company. This will forever be our pandemic show. I think everyone remembers where they were when the Challenger exploded or certain life marks. And I think you'll always remember who your squad was during this horrible time. So I always maintained my New York address, but I have family up in New England. 
and an elderly father. And I thought, why don't I go up there and help do some grocery shopping and have a little bit more space and nature since, you know, tight living was an issue. And so it kind of worked out for everyone. So my husband and I stayed up there for about a year. It was such a blessing to stay in my childhood home. It's not many adults Mm. that get the opportunity to do that, right? And so it was kind of healing in that regard. During that time, I was lucky enough to get some TV and film. I was had an episode of Girls 5 Eva and the film you just mentioned. And that was so cathartic because one felt like art was completely gone. And when you are an artist, you need that release, you know. And Peloton was my go-to. That was my therapist during all of this. Um, Christine, I, I am, I can, I will, I do. She's, she was my, she doesn't know it, but she was my coach and my therapist. Um, uh, yeah, and it was just, uh, I did a podcast at the time, and that was really creative. And uh, so we just tried to do what we could do. Oh, and I also went to school. You don't know that. I went back to SNHU, uh, which happens to be up the street from where I lived. And I just took it online. And it's this wonderful accredited university. And I went back and took a course in uh, criminology and forensic psychology. Oh, wow. Just for my brain. And maybe I got A's, you guys. Okay. Still got it. Still can write a fierce paper. That filled my soul. It just felt so good to do something else and be a whole person, you know? Yeah. And then to come back to Broadway, come on. It doesn't get better than being able to come back. Okay, I am so curious. Mm -hmm. What made you interested in forensics? Okay, so I love psychology. (laughs) And I still don't have my college degree. I've been chipping away at it for years because just my career, it's just I've always had something to do. So every time I get a chance, I like to chip away at it. Now, I do want to bring up that the podcast I started was called Killing It on Broadway with my fabulous co-host, Jessica Vosk. We did a fabulous season one, 30 episodes. You can still find it on where you get your podcasts, that was all about the marriage of true crime and Broadway, you know, and I felt like I wanted to do more research on the topic so that I was speaking with a little bit more knowledge when we did our work. So I thought, what better classes to take than that? And I will tell you, there's so much law involved in forensic psychology, and it turns out I don't really like the law. So (laughs) criminology is more the behavior and forensic psychology is a little boring for my taste. So if I ever had, you know, I, I, I preferred the criminology course for sure. Mm -hmm. So when you came back to Mm -hmm. company, God, I wish I was there that first night. I heard it was the building shook. Um, Sondheim was there. Sondheim was there. It was the last time I saw him. Oh. This is a cute story. I haven't said this story yet. And it's hard because when you're talking about yourself, it feels a little difficult. But the producer, Chris Harper, told me that (laughs) that Stephen said in intermission, he's like, that's Sarah. She's fantastic. Where do I know her? And he was flipping through his playbill. And uh, I got to see him afterwards. And uh, Marianne Elliott, our fabulous director who I would follow to the moon, said, Jennifer, come over here. Stephen wants to tell you this moment that he loves, this new moment that he loves, loves, loves. And I went over and he said, I love it when you throw the present at the end. Ha ha ha. He just got the biggest kick out of it. So if there was any threat of that getting cut, it's staying in because he loved it. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, what a gift. Yeah, what a gift. What a gift. I mean, 
who knew? I mean, it just felt like one more hurdle, one more obstacle, one more challenge. We miss him so much. Yeah, I bet. But we are so grateful that the legacy of his show lives on. How special that company is alive and well this year. I urge you to come honor him by coming to our show because yeah. it's, it's I'm spectacular. Gonna, I'm, I'm definitely going to come back because I, I, I think do. I was at, at the second or third preview before he went down and, and you – yeah. All where you were finding yourselves in your. Oh, you must come back. You must come back. You know why? It's even better. Oh, uh, sure. I've heard my castmates talk about this. Everyone has gotten better. Everyone. I always believe just when you think you put your performance on a shelf like a glass figurine, you're done. The work never stops. And the thing about the pandemic, going back to your first question, it, I'm going to cry just saying it, it deepened everyone, it mm-hmm. added more layers. I think to a person, everyone is just that much better. I don't know. It's just more poignant and everything is more grounded. And speaking of which, you know, you have that moment in the show where you lift your shirt and mm-hmm. um, you were recently in an article, you were featured in People magazine talking about, and you had never talked about this before. And I hope mm-hmm. it's okay that I'm bringing it up now. Yeah, of um, course. Your eating disorder, you had a, mm-hmm. as a, a young teenager, you had an eating disorder. Yeah. And I would love to talk to you about, about your involvement in it and how you saved yourself with it. Yes. And to be clear, I don't have any memory of talking about this in an interview. So to my best recollection, it was people. The only other time I talked about it, rather sang about it, was in a one-woman show I wrote called Stigma that I debuted in 2018. About oh, we're going to get to that, which is... Oh, really? Oh, oh thank I, you. Do that you, show you needs there? to come back, yes. Oh, uh, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. But I, I really believe the only way to destigmatize this kind of thing, and there's so many issues, not just this one, is to talk about it. And it's for one person at a time to go, you know what? And then someone else goes, her? Really? Or him? You know what? Maybe it's not so bad if I speak up too. So regarding that moment you mentioned, I I was thinking about it. And um, to me, in nature, the most vulnerable thing an animal can do is to expose its belly. And in that moment, I really believe that a lot of acting happens in the negative space. In other words, not what's on the line, what's between the lines. What is the motivation? What is the character coming out of and what are they going into? And, you know, here's this beautiful woman, Bobby, and Sarah's beautiful too, but they have this exchange and I let it all hang out. And what's fascinating is the audience does, they're not laughing at me, they're laughing with me. There's not a person who went through the pandemic that doesn't know that sweatpants and an elastic band are their new best friend. And they're just sort of, it's a relief, I think, in a world where it's all about scrubbing your face and making your body slimmer for that perfect Instagram photo to just say, this is who I am and this is enough. And I don't want to shame the phrase body positivity. That's a great phrase. But for me, it's just, this is my body. This is who I am. And I'm fabulous. Aren't I beautiful? And claiming it all. And it shouldn't be brave. That's the other thing. My cousin, Margot, who I love, she posted something the other day saying, here's a picture of me without makeup. It shouldn't be brave, you know, one celebrity after another, and God love them because there's so much pressure on them. But it shouldn't, we should get to a point where it's not brave to post a picture without makeup. (laughs) Or it shouldn't be brave to say, this is who I am and expose me. It should just be. 
it should just be. You were 15 and you were looking in the mirror and you just, mm-hmm. I just want our listeners and if our listeners are struggling mm-hmm. in any way to mm-hmm. hear part of Jennifer's story and how you got to the other side of it. But I mean, it's probably, yeah. you know. Yeah. I, I had friends who noticed first and I resisted, but it started with like a lot of people, just a diet and exercise plan and really liking the control of that. And if you read a lot of stories, mine is very typical. It was an excessive amount of exercise and very minimal portions of food. My father, God bless him, told me he was really scared to see me, you know, walk up this hill behind our home 50 times in the morning. And then the afternoon I'd go for a bike ride and at evening I'd do an aerobic workout. And, and of course I kept losing weight. And then when it got to a point where maybe in someone who didn't have this obstacle would maybe maintain, I just didn't know how to stop that pattern. So my parents, thank God, set me up with a psychologist and a nutritionist. And those two really helped me. And the nutritionist in particular just said to me, you know, if you get beneath like 90 pounds, I'm going to have to put you in the hospital. And something about that fear was a good marker for me. And Around the same time where I got to 90 and one half pounds, 90 and a half, I went shopping and I was at this mall and I had on a strapless gown that was a size zero and it fell off of me. I just couldn't keep it up on my body. And something, because I had body dysmorphia, I, you know, I, something clicked where I noticed that that wasn't okay and as well, I tried on a pair of jeans and somehow I noticed that as I could see my bones, to be honest with you. I'm sorry if it's hard to hear, no. but I noticed that my shoulder bones were a little narrower than my hip bones. And I was somehow able to see that and something just clicked. I was like, you know, no matter what size I am, that's always going to be the case. And I just realized how unkind I was being to myself. And it was at that moment that I started to gain weight with the help of my nutritionist and my therapist. Thank God. And Joy, I have to say, as twice now I've heard you want to ask something or say something, and yeah. I want to make sure I ask you what you had in mind. Thank you. I just wanted to ask you about, in, in the context of what's happening right now with young girls and young people with eating disorders and body dysmorphia, and your experience of having come out on the other side, do you have any words of advice? Because I'm speaking specifically to... There's a new social media challenge where a guy takes a drink around his girlfriend's waist. So you literally take the glass, you wrap your arm around, all you have is this width, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And you are supposed to drink and then continue to go down. Like if you can do it around her backside as well. So this is a new challenge. And you know how Mm -hmm. small a person has to be Mm -hmm. to meet that challenge. And it, to me, it seems like the 90s was like a, a really high, a, a point where there was a tremendous amount of young girls that was suffering with this disease. Mm-hmm. And then we kind of like evened out because there was a lot of education around it. Mm-hmm. And now it's back with these kinds of crazy challenges. Mm-hmm. So what kind of words of advice might you have for somebody who is leaning into that space of feeling like I need to fit in in some sort of way or I need to be a Mm -hmm. part of something to help them really see the truth of what participating in something like that could possibly do to them. Yeah, 
Well, first of all, I'm the first person to say I'm not an expert. I'm just, you know, a, a person. So please take any advice I give with a grain of salt. I would say talk to the experts first, number one. If you really feel like you have a problem, you can go to National Eating Disorders org, I believe, you know, and you can see one of the things they have is, you know, answer these questions, see if you relate to this, that can help. I will say after that people article came out, one of the gentlemen from my show told me his wife who works with young girls said no less than five girls came up to her that day to talk about it. So mm-hmm. to your point, Joy, it is still relevant. I would say it never went away. I think it's always been here. I think a lot of people don't talk about I like to call them obstacles because an obstacle is something you can get over. The advice I would give is to always lead with a sense of humor and claim the narrative and reframe it. I think it would be hilarious to do a challenge where if you have a big badonkadonk like I do, you know what, how about I put that glass on my butt and see if you can drink out of that. I mean, if you really want to participate, change the rules. You know what, I want, there's so much in me to love. Why don't you use two hands and take your drink? You know, if you're going, I just think change the narrative. That's what I did. And that's what I would do. And you don't have to feel pressure to subscribe to anyone else's rules or what some sort of idea of a beauty norm is. And you're not a failure just because someone can't get their arms around your waist. How silly. I mean, it's silly. If it makes you feel bad, please don't. And lead with humor, have a sense of humor. It's not that, it's not that important. I completely agree. I love that a sense of humor is important to you. How has it Mm -hmm. helped you? Oh, it's everything. You know, my late mother, Yvette, had the best sense of humor in the world. We actually played this show. It was like a newlywed game for friends. And there was one episode where it was a mother and daughter. And basically, one of you had to leave the room while one of you answers. And the other one comes back and tries to see what you said. So she left the room. And the question is, which of you would Jennifer say is funnier? And my mom came back in and she said about herself, she's like, I said me, Jen, I'm sorry, I said me, I'm funnier. And I'm like, yeah, you, that's what I said, mom. Like, she's just so <laughs> funny. And so I think I got it from her, but it's really helped me just not take life so seriously. And life has so much pain. It really does. And that's actually, I think people ask me why, you know, how can you channel? How can you be so funny? I said, because I use my pain. If you can really go in there Oh, gosh, that's where the best stuff lies, truly. So it creates the best work. Yeah. And, and playing Sarah, who struggles mm-hmm. with her body image mm-hmm. um, while, her ha- while her husband is struggling with sobriety, right? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Their marital tensions bubbling just under the surface. Were you excited or terrified to put that on stage? Oh, excited. I... I'm a begrudging Gryffindor. If you're into, uh, you know, Harry Potter, I always want to be Ravenclaw because they sound so mysterious. But all my friends, every show, they're like, no, Jan, you're Gryffindor. Because I'm, they're like, you're brave. I am brave. I'm always the one to stand up or say something to someone or volunteer. That said, I'm Slytherin rising. There's some darkness there. Let's be honest. Uh, But uh, I was excited because I really do love putting it all out there. I don't like hiding stuff. I like wearing stuff on my sleeve. I don't like feeling shamed. And so to me, hiding stuff for me, that's not true for everyone. Your business is your business. But for me, it doesn't feel good to keep secrets. So, so it's I been loved empowering. It. Oh, so, yeah. yeah. I loved it. Loved it. Couldn't love it more. This is lemonade, by the way. Mm-hmm. Mm. 
It looks delicious. Mm-hmm. Mine is not water. It just looks like it. No, I'm just joking. <laughs> right? We'll talk later. Joy. <laughs> you know, I read that you remember the moment that you knew there was a problem. And I just think it's so important to just, you know, remember that a nutritionist can work with a psychologist or a psychiatrist and mm-hmm. um, help you both of them were helping, were obviously mm-hmm. talking and communicating and then helping you. I just think that's so, you can't you know, you really have that. one without the other. Yeah. And I would say for me, the nutritionist was almost more important because it just educated me about the science behind food and as you know, and it, it just all made sense. And it was someone to keep you accountable. I mean, since then in my life, I've gone to Weight Watchers and even, I think that's a wonderful organization because you, mm-hmm you were accountable, you know, to the group and other people and to the scale. And so it just really helped me have a better relationship and an understanding of food and nutrition, vitamins, minerals, things that are going to keep me alive and well, and my hair soft and beautiful like it is right now. (laughs) Yeah, it does look soft and beautiful. Doesn't it? I know. Yeah, it does. I mean, you know, as a, as a gay man, I mean, I struggle every day with, Mm -hmm. you know, weight issues and and what mm-hmm. I weigh one week as opposed to the next week and thinking about waking up in the morning and thinking about oh fuck what did I eat last night mm-hmm. and then before I go to bed thinking you know what I ate so it it is a continual thing you know and yeah. you have to keep reminding yourself you know about nutrition and about mm-hmm. reaching out for help yeah I'm Look, I'm not an ectomorph, you know, I'm somewhere between a mesomorph and endomorph. And, you know, it's just, I just, that's my body type and it could go either way real quick. And, uh, you know, I just try to keep it about living my life, joy, health. And sometimes that joy is give me that brownie and that's good for my soul. Therefore it's healthy, you know, and it's that Mm -hmm. kind of thing and balance, balance. I want to ask a question about comedy. Because mm-hmm. you are a unbelievable comedian. I mean, I think you're right when you say that you find a lot of the humor between the lines. Mm-hmm. And your performance in company is, you know, uh, incredible. And it's so funny. And you have the, the audience hysterically laughing. What do you think about comedy? Do you think that it is something that can be taught or do you think it is an innate and something that you're born with? I think the pull to understand it instinctively is innate. Mm-hmm. I think you have to see it. And that's certainly my education. You know, the women that I grew up admiring, Penny Marshall and Cindy Williams on Laverne and Shirley taught me half of what I know. <laughs> or almost half, because Madeline Kahn is right there with them, Bernadette Peters, Anne Bancroft, Angela Lansbury. These are some of my idols. Uh, They're not all of them by any means, so I'm I'm leaving several people off the list. It's a long list. So I saw it and recognized it for some reason as funny. And that being said, I do believe you can teach people tricks. You can tell them what some of the comedies are. Sometimes with students, I talk about... Kevin Klein in A Fish Called Wanda. And there's power sometimes, for example, in marrying your words with your physical movement. Mm -hmm. I wasn't planning on talking about this tonight, so forgive me if I'm getting it wrong, but it's the moment where he opens the safe and there's no money in there. And he's Mm -hmm. breathing and he's breathing. He's like, okay, okay, okay. I think he does it three times. Comedy is in threes, by the way. There's a lesson. Uh, And he says, disappointed. 
And he says, son of a bitch. He's like, what do you have to do to get some respect around here or something? But, but he says, what do you have to do? What do you have to do? And when he does, what do you have to do? He, he jumps and kicks and hits the car. So it's, and it's the rhythm. Sorry for the noise, everyone. But it's okay. the rhythm of hitting the car with the language that is so brilliant. He's such a brilliant physical comedian. As well, when he's sitting doing a yoga pose in the driveway and does a backward shoulder roll, it's funny. So a lot of times it's marrying the physical with the words. And there's great comedy in that. One thing I always tell people, never forget your hands. Your hands are funny. Sometimes people don't know what to do with them. You know, this is fine. That's, you know, that can be, sorry, that can be funny. Or, you know, like hands are funny. It's just, there's so many little tricks you can teach people various degrees of how well it may be executed based on the first part of the question. Right, of course. But, you know, it's a, I'd say it's mostly innate. Timing is difficult to teach someone. It's yes. almost like music. You gotta, you kind of hear it. You feel it. You hear and the rhythms, a, right. Yes, and not everyone has that instinct. So uh, I think there's a difference sometimes between a true comedian or comedian and someone who is a good actor who can do comedy. So you can teach some things. I do think it is something that you are born with to be a true comedian, to find I agree. To find the beat, to find the yeah. the rhythm between the lines and what to do mm-hmm. with it and to put the physicality to it as well. Mm-hmm. And experience also, I have to say though, even for if you have it innately, there's a learned thing from doing it night after night on stage where you learn little things like how not to push, how to let the audience come to you, how to read the room knowing if they're with you or not and backing off the gas because of them. Cause they're the fourth actor, let's say, you know, and that's instinct, but it's also it's experience that really helps when you're a comedian. I was going to say this later, but I'll say it now. I've, I notice and sense that you are a very generous, not just performer, but human being. I've noticed you really give acknowledgement of different people who have been with you along your journey and you've had a beautiful career do you think that generosity of spirit or what is it that you think adds to your being able to consistently work other than talent that's a given right Mm -hmm. but there's lots of people out there who are very talented and don't continue to work do you think Mm -hmm. your generosity of spirit has anything to do with that or is there something else or you're just fabulous and everybody can oh, No, I think um, <laughs> I think it's failure, to be honest with you. Failure, not only in my moments in my career, but what I perceive as failure as a human being has helped me to do the second part, which is to persevere. It's very common knowledge, but I think you learn more through your failures than your successes. And again, going back to facing your stuff and facing your pain, if you're brave enough to really look at the man in the mirror, you know, and say, okay, what did you do? How can you not do that again? Try to learn from it. Try to adjust your behavior. Try to be better. I think that's where my generosity comes from. It's times I've looked at myself in the mirror and said, this is not the person my mother raised. Jennifer, Mm -hmm. come on, you know, and that's helped me. And I think the generosity comes from, Honestly, I'm going to talk about this. Being in an ensemble is difficult on Broadway, and I was in two. And I think remembering where you come from, remembering sometimes that, you know, it hasn't always been me with the named role, you know, or, or the award. 
And it just keeps you honest and it keeps you humble and it keeps you a hard worker because I value a work ethic probably more than anything. Mm. I have to tell you too, live at the Lortel, do you want to hear a funny story or no? Yeah. Yes, of course. Okay. Bring I, the you, funny. You never, funny. Every time I never have to every ask time, that. Every time I'm just looking at Lortel and I got nominated once for a Lucille Lortel Award. And yes, I was yeah. so excited because I never had one. This is 2005. And I will never forget the award ceremony because it was five women in our category. And it was ultimately, it was the year that the wonderful, amazing Adrian Lennox won the Tony for Doubt. So I know she was in the category, but there were five of us. And they said, and I'm just going to say that one of the women with me in the story was the fabulous Allison Pill. Okay. All of a sudden they announced it and they said, and the winner is, oh, it's a three-way tie. And then at that moment, you're like, maybe I really have a shot. I mean, three? There's only five of us. And let me just say, it wasn't me and it wasn't Allison Pill. So not only did we have to internalize that we lost, like we really lost, you know? <laughs> And then you're looking at each other, well, well, who was fourth and who was fifth? And we left the award ceremony. We saw each other outside, and I, I introduced myself to her. I said, hey, Allison, hi. I said, I'm the other girl, and she just burst out laughing. And I've been wanting to meet up with her for years since then just to tell her that story, that I'm the other girl. I'm doing okay, and I know she's doing okay. So sometimes losers, you know, are we do okay. <laughs> exactly. Like you said, you, you learn from your failures. Well, I learned that I had a great moment on the sidewalk with Allison Pill. I'm such yeah. a fan. So that was a winner. That was a winning moment. <laughs> I love how you brought sense of humor to that because so many times as artists, you know, we get so sad because we've put like everything out there. And mm -hmm. then if you don't get something back, it's like, oh, my self-worth was all tied into that. And mm -hmm. your note of having a sense of humor around mm -hmm. and generosity Mm -hmm. can add to someone really having perseverance and the stamina to stay in the game. Because if yeah. you can't laugh at yourself. <laughs> oh, it's all over. It's too hard. This is a hard business. And so if you don't try to keep a sense of humor, what's the point? So much is out of your control. So just try to have fun on the ride. That's what I say. Anyway, <laughs> You've played some incredible characters and some huge like archetypal characters in your in your canon and I'm, you know i'm thinking of you know what shot you to some quick stardom was a disaster the seth brodetsky and jack and musical based on like the old films like towering inferno and and all mm -hmm. those and and you played this nun yeah right sister mary played this, mm -hmm. right who was a gambling addict mm-hmm what a hysterical moment on stage and the song that you got to sing. But what's incredible to me is so many actors would have played her as an archetypal, like none, you know, we have this vision in our head as, as what, what that is. My question to you is how is it you always are finding this incredible humanity in these characters that you are playing? Where are you? Oh. I'm not going to ask you where it comes from, but mm -hmm. um, I'm interested a little bit in your process because okay. you yeah. are playing real human beings who yeah. we relate to. Yes. Well, I think no matter how large the brushstroke you may see in the end product on stage, it's really important to take a fine 
brush stroke to everything. And I really believe you should explore the concept of less is more. I think it's a very interesting exercise, whether you stick with it or not, to see how little you can do to get the same result. Part of that came out of learning through, you know, 1400 shows of I Love You, You're Perfect, Now Change, for example, on nights where I wasn't feeling as well. Sometimes the, I thought, oh, it's not going to go well tonight. I'm kind of under the weather. And the audience response was great, if not better. Why? Because I had to adjust my performance. I literally couldn't do it the same way. And I learned that sometimes less was actually what was required. And I thought, oh, isn't that interesting? I'm working too hard and it's not serving me. So that's one aspect of it. As far as the choices in disaster, thank you very much. I also have to give credit to Jack Plotnick, our director, who was an excellent director and really loved and encouraged this less is more tone with the nun. And as well, I thank the sound design team because they really let me speak incredibly sotto voce, which nine times out of 10, most directors hate to do. They hate an over mic show, but it was so, look at me, I'm leaning into the camera. It was, I'm so impassioned about it. I remember fighting for it because it was so important that it was this big, which helped make the song work because that's so out there. In fact, I don't like I know everyone loves the song and that's great, but I prefer seeing the song in context as opposed to out of context because the payoff is so much better once you experience how repressed this human being is and like a coiled spring just under the surface, right? That's part of it. And I love the dark side of light. You, you can't have the light without the dark. And I love the darkness of Sister Mary Downey. I love the darkness in me. I just think we shouldn't be afraid of that. And Again, there's humor in that. We're all broken dishes to some yeah. extent. And I really love, I think I have to credit Georgia Hardstark for that. I think that's where I first heard that phrase. But we're all broken dishes. And, oh, gosh, it's so fun when you just accept that. Because if you don't accept it, you're limited in what you can do mm-hmm. in life and on stage. In my Speaking opinion. of darkness, tell us about the Darkness Rising Project. Oh, yes. This is a project that I love. And shout out to Carlita Victoria, who is one of the executive directors and founders of the organization. And we become friends. My cast wanted to do something outward that wasn't just about ourselves. And we reached out to them. We were really inspired by their platform. And we held a fundraiser for them at Birdland in September. The month before, Carlita asked us to be partners with her. They have an annual block party in Brooklyn. And we just came out there and we just helped set up. It wasn't even about performing. It was about volunteering. I urge everyone to volunteer. Please do. For something of your choice, but do something. And we had a list of like 125 things that we were looking at, organizations, and we chose this one. I think a lot of people don't choose anything because you get overwhelmed when you see, well, I can't possibly help all 125. Of course you can't. So pick one and do that. And this is the one we did. It's been a joyful collaboration. And uh, this is about supporting mental health in the Black community, destigmatizing it. I think they have a mission, improve, raise, empower, erase. And so I have notes here that I took, I think, somewhere. Yeah, to improve, just read it because I don't want to make a mistake, to improve the health and wellness of the Black community, to raise awareness about mental health in that community, to empower 
and engage the community through resources. I'll tell you more about that. And to erase the stigma, which I talked about before, which is so important. But like, if you contact them, you can get, you know, free pamphlets about all these resources that are out there. And I really believe in destigmatizing mental health. So that's one reason I was really excited about this project. And I can't say enough about her. She is a Renaissance woman. She's she's an actress. She's a singer. She's a fitness instructor. And somewhere in her spare time, she found time to do that. And I'm like, okay. So please check them out. That's fantastic. Yeah. And you're right. It's um, wellness workshops, mental health resources, Mm -hmm. and music with mental health. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm Mm-hmm. It's all volunteer. How do you, obviously, we put the website on. And I I went on to the website, and there's a place for people to sign up to volunteer. There's so many. You can donate. There's so many. Uh, And and learn more about it, you know, and learn more about it. Are there services uh, specific to New York and the Brooklyn area, or is it, do they offer resources and information for people outside of that area as well? It's not just Brooklyn, for sure. I know it's in New York, and I don't want to answer that incorrectly. So I'm going to back out of that question since I'm not one of the board of directors. But Carlita's mother is, and she's fabulous. And I know she'd know the answer. And you go to the website, and all the contact people are there. And please, please, please reach out. Ask those kinds of questions. Thank you, Joy, for asking that. Mm -hmm. Because um, they're kind of killing the game. Yeah. Let's talk Mm -hmm. a little bit about your dark side. And the one woman show that you did, Mm -hmm. Mm. you know, everybody is so used to you playing a certain character, Mm -hmm. but your real taste in music is to, to sing rock and roll. It's one of my tastes in music because that was more what we did with the nun, right? We had, we had her sing this rock and roll song and we didn't have that song on Broadway, off Broadway. We lost the rights six weeks. Right, they lost the rights, right. Mm -hmm. And I just looked at, and of course you're panicking. And I said to Seth, you know what? Here's our choice panic or we can make it better. Let's make it better. And we did. But I love singing that. And the truth is about cabaret shows. There's such a large umbrella. Your cabaret show can be anything. And you can't possibly do them all. The venues all look different. And at that time, that was just something I wanted to get out of my system. I have a great idea for the next show and it's going to be Broadway folks. So don't you worry because a lot of people too, a lot of people love the show. I purposely didn't invite critics, but I have to say one showed up anyway. And I was a little irritated, no offense, because he said, Oh, it's a freshman mistake to talk about your stuff. I'm like, I've been doing this for 25 years. I've sung in everyone's cabarets. It was a choice to be personal because when you're talking about mental health, you have to be it's yes. what I said earlier. I was, it was with malice aforethought. I was so open because that's how you help people. I can't even tell you how many people wrote to me, called me and told me they got into therapy because of that show mission accomplished yes. that, you know, that's the point. And because now I've reached a level of success, I'm not, by God, there's people way more famous than me and there always will be. But for this teeny, tiny, teeny, tiny platform I have, mm-hmm. Some in our community, people I think look at me and aspire to. I'd love her career, they you know. And yes. for me to say, well, guess what? It's not all wine and roses, and here's why. I think that you have to show your humanity to people if you're able to. That is how I run, and it was really important for me to do that. But the next show, I, I can't tell you the title, but I'm really excited about it, and it's going to be super fun. And the Jennifer most people know, honestly. <laughs> okay. Yeah. But do you have any intention of bringing that other show back? Because it was uh-huh. 
It was incredible. It was something, so, you know, you go to something expecting one thing and then you get something else. And I was, you know, we were all, you know, jumping up and down in our seats with excitement because of, of what you brought to it and what we learned from it. I mean, there was a lesson, I, lessons to be learned, I, in my opinion. I probably will, and I'll edit it. I, I'll probably, uh, maybe I'll edit down the talking. I don't know. I, what I wanted to say at the time was exactly what I wanted to say. My best girlfriend is Sally Wilfert, wonderful actress and renowned cabaret artist in her own right. And at her show, what I, she said this one time that I loved. She said, you know what? Coming into tonight, I actually changed some of the songs because where I am, the show I'm doing tonight would be different from the show I'm doing tomorrow, just like every day of your life. Tomorrow's going to be different than today. So I, you're inspiring me to do stigma again, especially based on this conversation. So I'm going to say, yeah, I think we'll do it again. I want to get this other show out of my system first, though. That, that's what I love. It's like, and judgment-free. I don't, you know, I, I just want it to be what I want it to be. And if I like it, I'm satisfied. Yeah. And the connection that you had with your musical director. and the, Marzullo. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It just worked so beautifully as a, as a show and it had a beginning and a middle and an end. And we all, you you know, it brought me to tears. Some, I felt like I had learned something from seeing stigma and, um, thank you. I'm going to invite you to be my, my reviewer. Thank you. Oh yeah. My my pleasure. I'll write it tonight, Mm -hmm. but it, Mm -hmm. it, 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 I think the world should see it. It's so, so good. Thank you very much. I'm taking that in. Thank you. I want to go back to company a little bit. Mm-hmm. I'm interested, you know, you and Chris have this incredible relationship on stage. Mm-hmm. What is it? Do you love to fuck around on stage in terms of I'm going to change something tonight? If that, you know, mm-hmm. are you constantly taking notes in your head? Oh, that did not work. So I'm going to do this. Mm-hmm. And are you, and when I say mess with him, I don't mean that. I mean, Mm-mm. You're going to change something because mm-hmm. it didn't work last night. Yeah. Are you always evolving through Sarah? Are you always? Yes. Yes. Okay. We, we have been friends for 30 years. So we basically are married at this point. Uh, don't tell our spouses. Uh, we um, No, we are such good friends. And we are constantly checking in. We check in with each other every night. So things will evolve that you don't plan. And then you touch base about that. And you say, did that work? Did that not work? How'd you feel about this? Could you do this? Could you do that? We like to communicate with one another because that's what works best for us. We are a team, you know, in that regard. So we do check-ins. We don't really F around. Like we have fun. I mean, he, you know, like we'll, we'll end up on the couch together and I'm blocking Christopher. He'll be giggling and I can't giggle because the audience can see me. Like he giggles every night. He just gets the biggest kick out of the fight. Christopher Sieber has a real jovial nature to begin with, and he just loves it. You know, I'm a sports gal, and I have to say, one of the interesting things about our scene, and you you did see it, so you tell me if you agree. But I believe uh, he's the Abbott to my Costello. That's not the yeah. sports reference, you know. But he he's hilarious. But he's more the straight man comedy, and I'm definitely yeah. charged with being more of the clown. And that's, that's science. And you have to. So he, the sport reference comes in. The sports reference comes in where Christopher really is my Scottie Pippen. I couldn't get the basket. I couldn't be Michael Jordan and land that joke time after time if he didn't pass me the ball. And let me tell you, no one passes that ball better. He sets me up. Boom. 
sets me up, boom, sets me up, boom. I have such a demand and charge to be the physical comedian in the scene. And I couldn't do it if he weren't there riding the wave with me, listening to the audience. How long do I have to hold? You know, he has to come in with his next line. And so and he's very generous in that regard. Mm-hmm. And I really appreciate it because I couldn't do it without him. We are a two-person bicycle. He lets me fly and there's no ego about it because, you know, I, I get to be the clown. He's my straight man and I, I love him for it. And you can see that. You can see the, mm-hmm. the love that you have for each other, whether we, you're... We you do know, love one another. You know, whether you're flipping him over or not. I mean, you. it is... Yeah. It's beautiful to see love on stage and it's beautiful yeah. to see generous actors yeah. kind of sit back and let mm-hmm. their partner shine. And I hope I do the same for him because um, yes. Jerry Seinfeld loves Bud Abbott. He's his favorite straight man. And that's Christopher. When I say the straight man, people have a misconception that that doesn't mean funny. Bud <laughs> Abbott was hilarious. Christopher Sieber is hilarious. Yes, so is. it's just a different kind of thing. So we are having the time of our life. And uh, I thank you for asking. Yeah. Yeah. What's going on next for you in terms of are you looking forward to the show that you mentioned? doing that next or are you spending a little bit of because I know you just got finished doing a film Mm -hmm. so are you spending a little time in that space like where are you focusing your energy in this moment the cabaret show will probably be post my life in company because it takes a lot of work to put that together not to mention my evenings are not free right now so uh, you know I'm thinking the fall earliest but it's coming because I have it all up here and I just, and also I'm a woman who likes to rehearse and practice. So I don't want to just, I want to make it really fine tuned. But right now, as you know, this is the busiest time for Broadway. We're in prom season at Broadway. And so Mm -hmm. there's so many things and events and we get to support our colleagues and our friends. We haven't been on campus for two years, at least for me, I haven't, you know, that's how I like to call it on campus. So May right. and June are just a really busy time for us. And thank goodness that we do get to do in-person events. I, for one, cannot wait to hug so many people that I've not seen in over two years. What's your process for working on a cabaret show? Do you think of mm. your songs first and then go, oh, what's the story? Or do you think of your story first and then go, oh, yeah. what are the songs I want to put in? Well, I have the concept. I have the title. I have I have the title and then the blurb underneath it and the songs that all lend itself to this title. So the theme, all kind of the theme, the, the title, the songs, they all sort of work in tandem for me. And then, of course, I just have to get down to the nitty gritty and memorize the song, the show order, get with my musical director, make the arrangements, figure out how many pieces we want, the venue getting it on the books, all of that stuff. But to really memorize something in advance, and not everyone's this way, but I was friends with the late Rebecca Luker, and planning things six months out is not unheard of when you're trying to learn a bulk of material that you don't want to use a music stand for. Because there's a big difference between knowing it in your living room and then being under lights with people. You know, you can go into the white room quite easily, which for those of you who don't know, that's when you're, a performer and you just don't know what's next and you start to sweat and your skin gets really hot. (laughs) And then everything turns white. And everything turns white and you wish that you did something else for a living. (laughs) (laughs) I read this quote that I loved and I, I, if you don't mind, I'm going to read it. Okay. You said that Barbara Barry Hmm. once said, Mm -hmm. 
I love Barbara Barry. You always have to have your second best performance in your back pocket. Oh, I and I remembered that on nights when I was human, that number didn't go as well as it did the night before. It's never the same. It's a valuable, moving, living thing. You just hope that it's an excellent every night, and you have to forgive yourself when it's not as good one night from the next. It's very frustrating. If I ever fail, I get extremely upset about it. So I strive for perfection, but I have a mantra on my dressing room mirror that says, don't let the perfect be the enemy of the good, which is a Voltaire quote, right? Mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. And you try to maintain that every night. And I thought mm -hmm. that, that that little paragraph that you said says so much right there mm -hmm, mm -hmm. about having your second best performance in your back pocket. It's so funny. You're inspiring me to write an email to Barbara because I'm fortunate enough to have her digits. Um, oh. But I, I have to write her. Because I've written with her. I've spoken with her. I think I said this during disaster. And um, I don't know that I've told her that. I have. I think I did maybe on the podcast with Jamie. But it, yes, I, I'm blown away by that because as a woman now who's had a, some experience, I can tell you how true that is. It's funny, though. I'm less of a perfectionist now than I used to be. I, I still am. Christopher would laugh so hard if he heard me say, he's like, no, Jen, you're a perfectionist. But I mean, I, uh, the great banana peel of life, I'm just so much more open to that. Maybe that's age. I just, there's less and less you can control, I think. Yeah. And so I, it's kind of like, I'm kind of like an old cat. You ever see cats when they're younger, they're just kind of like, eh. and then when they get older, they're like, eh. <laughs> sort, of, <laughs> sort of where I am now. Eh. But your acting partner would tell you you're still a perfectionist. Yeah. I am. I, I, I am. I, I, he, he would say, Jennifer, I'm with you every night. You are. <laughs> and I'm proud of that. I think Patty, too, she says, exacting. What's wrong with being exacting? You know, like that. And in comedy, it, comedy is science. Yeah. It really is. You put too much of this, it's not going to work. You know, it really is about measurements. You've been around for a while now, so you've yeah. been able to see changes. Have you benefited from the introduction of intimacy direction and mm -hmm. consent and boundaries being in place in, oh, in yeah. the industry now? Have, yeah. you, have you seen the huge change? Have you experienced mm -hmm. it? And how might you have benefited? I have experienced it. We had um, sensitivity training for two days in October. While I'm not going to go into past experience, of course, I've had experiences that would fall under the umbrella of let's say the Me Too movement, for example, or, you know, harassment of, of different kinds. So it's a relief to know that there are mechanisms in place to really address those issues. Whereas before I feel like it was, they were in place, but there might be a cost for speaking up and reporting. And I feel like now the tables have turned where there's a cost not to. And that's a big change. And also, let's keep moving forward with more pluralism and diversity across the board. That's good for everybody. So I just, I do think there's been tangible progress, as opposed to in the past where I think maybe we've said so, but it hasn't actually resulted in tangible progress. And I do see the difference. But the work is never done. And it won't be done in our lifetimes either. So like I said earlier, every, pick one thing, you know, and, and if everyone did that, boy, there'd be a lot of, there'd be a lot more progress. So with this current accountability, do you feel freer as an artist? Do you feel like you can take more risks? 
because if someone crosses a boundary, you're like, there's Mm -hmm. something in place to be able to handle this. I feel freer. And I also have to be honest, I'm a little scared because I have a wicked sense of humor. So I never want to offend someone. I use humor, I think, to deflect sometimes. And certainly I'm always, I tend to do this now. I'm like, you know, Jen, if you're not sure, maybe just don't say anything at all. (laughs) You know, so I'm just self-policing myself a little bit more because I think it's very common for people to think, oh, that's for the other person. Well, why don't you look in the mirror first? You know, mm-hmm. so I just want, and if I do cross a line, because comedy sometimes is right on the line, I, I hope I make amends immediately and no, not do it again. I haven't, don't think I've had that issue so far, but I do think about those things, you know. I love that you mentioned that because, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's, I know a lot of men feel the like, oh, I don't want to say anything wrong. Right. Of course. But in the theater, all of us have this sense of humor that mm-hmm. has to be adjusted and changed mm-hmm. to match where we are now. And you rarely hear a woman speak about, yeah, I have to make the, these adjustments. So thank you yeah. for mentioning that. Sure. Yeah, I agree. Yes. In the last two minutes, Jen, mm-hmm. tell me, um, give a piece of advice to a young woman or man that's in school and is about to get out there and mm-hmm. hit the pavement. And I mean, you've been in this business a long time and yeah. you've had your ups and your downs and right now you're up, but give a piece of advice to a young actor or a theater mm-hmm. major. I would say always trust your gut and your instincts because you're going to get a lot of advice to pull you here, there, or the other, or the other, but no one knows you better than you. It's important to listen to people with experience, to listen to people who've literally been on the planet a decade or decades longer than you, because chances are they've been where you are, but at the end of the day, get quiet, listen to that little voice inside, and that's probably what you should or should not be doing. That's my advice. I love that advice. And I love you, Jennifer Smart. I, I think you. you are, as Jamie and Rob said, uh, as they say every week on the mm. on their podcast, which is no longer I, the fabulous invalid, which I miss terribly. Uh, mm. God, I love you, you Jennifer Smart. You can still listen to it. Thank you, Eric. Yes. I'm sorry to interrupt you. But you I, can no, go no, listen no. to three seasons of it. Yes, go, go I know. Listen. It's of still course. up there. Yeah, yeah it's still there. And, no, and Eric, I enjoy. Do. This has been a real joy. And a real privilege for me, you know, this is, I don't know if you know this, but uh, in, in periodicals throughout New York, I am, I have a, f- a four times I've been a theatrical newcomer to the city. So it's wonderful to be <laughs> a newcomer with you. <laughs> One of the things that makes me, isn't that funny? But in a this newcomer. case, I really am. I am a newcomer, like Broadway newcomer. I'm like, oh, really? Again? <laughs> um, Not here. You preserve well, darling. You That's preserve what that means. well. Okay. Well, this Not I am proud to be a newcomer to live at the Lortel. <laughs> let's do it again sometime. <laughs> yes. Yes, let's so do it. Live. Next time live. Okay. That is our show. May is AAPI Heritage Month. Joy and I will kick it off on Monday, May 2nd, with writer, actor, performance artist, comedian and elective representative of Koreatown, Los Angeles, Christina Wong. 
Christina was nominated for a 2022 Lucille Lortel Award for her solo show, Christina Wong, Sweatshop Overlord, which premiered at New York Theatre Workshop and which was named a critic's pick by the New York Times. And we will ask her about her work with API Rise and World Harvest LA. Then on Monday, May 9th, we will speak with J.G. Macapugai. J.G. is a proud Filipino-American actress and artist who is currently in Suffs by Shayna Taub at The Public. She is also an advocate for Asian-American representation in the arts, working with Broadway Barkata. Information about all our upcoming guests, as well as how to attend an online recording, can be found on our website, liveatthelortel.com. Thank you for joining us this evening. Go back to the theater. See this magnificent artist do her thing. You won't be sorry. And I can't wait to come back next month. Stay safe. Stay healthy. Have a wonderful night. Thank you, Joy, my love of my life. And Jennifer Samard, the new love of my life. Really? Just like that. (laughs) (laughs) This podcast is brought to you by the Lucia Lortel Theater. Live at the Lortel is produced by George Forbes, executive producer yours truly, and associate producer Jeffrey Schubart. Press is provided by Sin Gogolak, GoGo Public Relations. And special thanks to Nancy Hurwitz, Alana Canty Samuel, Mata Levinas, Carla Liriano, and Ellen Chan. Live at the Lortel Sound Engineer and Mixer is Brian Falk at Abacus Entertainment. Thank you so much for listening.